0: wow I just want to stop there and reflect on that song Uh, his wounds have paid my ransom I mean what God has given you know he's with he's given everything and withheld nothing so that we could have everything that he wants us to have in Jesus Christ I mean incredible incredible Um, let's pray and then we're going to open up God's word And then we're going to subject our lives to it and we're going to bring glad submission to the word of God here this morning because, wow, is it going to be convicting here this morning for us. As we look in our sermon series on Live Well about being God's stewards on this earth, let's pray. Father in heaven, we now... Uh, invite, as your Holy Spirit has already done, through the truth that has already been preached in worship, in prayer, in song and story, uh, we continue. Now we enter into your word that's going to correct us. Um, It might rebuke us. It might teach us. It might train us in godliness. But it's all good. It's all good for us. And we receive the good gift that it is to us so that we can be more grateful uh, from the grace that we receive from it and the truth that we receive from it so that outwardly our lives would be expressed in it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So um, I've got uh, a one heart at a time men's group. I, I, I took my men's group to go see one of my One hearted at a Time guys, and uh, so I was playing softball this Thursday with the young uh, men's group, and we, we have a win, by the way. We have a win. We're one and one, um, and uh, uh, so I was excited about that. I worried that we wouldn't even be competitive, but uh, we, we compete. We played a real good team Thursday and lost to them, but it's really cool to have these young men coming out, and I'm playing softball. Some who haven't played uh, a batted ball sport in years um, to come out with us, but um, one of the the newer guys that's in my men's group, uh, he came up and he goes, hey look, I went to see your one heart at a time guy. I'm like, are you trying to steal my one heart at a time guy? What are you doing? Um, No, he went there. We even bring one of our one heart at a time guys to the softball game to play uh, with us, and that was exciting to hear that he went and stopped by and visited with the guy again. I also heard from a couple of families who went to the police station last week and brought cookies, and our effort to serve our civil servants um, in our community this month. We're asking you to go to the First Serve kiosk and sign up on that clipboard that that says you can just bring cookies, muffins, whatever gift you want to bring to the police station. I went there on Thursday and dropped off my family's gifts uh, to the uh, police station. They look so good, I wanted them too. I mean, chocolate chip oatmeal cookies with coconut, shaved coconut, uh, toasted coconut in there. Really good stuff. We left a thank you note telling them that, hey, the people at First Baptist Church, really thank you. How easy would it be for you to put some brownies together to put a cake together to um, put something together for these people who serve our community and drop it by this week. You can do that by going to the first serve um, kiosk. Two families that brought their stuff that got I invited back into the into the police station back into the into the catacombs and they went into this uh, lounge area, and, and some of the kids, they had drawn pictures for and, and colored in pictures for the policemen and firemen, and they posted their pictures. They put them right up on bulletin boards and taped them on the walls and gave away little tiny deputy badges and stuff like that. That was awesome to know that my church um, was thankful uh, to these civil servants. And tomorrow, tomorrow night at 7 o'clock, I'll be at City Hall. Somebody walked in this morning and said, Pastor Clint, no one has signed up to go with you Are you guys afraid of city councilmen or something? Um, No one signed up to go with you for your devotion and your offer of thanks to the community. I will go with you. Fantastic. And if you want to go with me to the school board, meet me at Zeeland West at 6 o'clock tomorrow, Monday at 6 p.m. at Zeeland West where they meet in their cafeteria for their school board meeting during that open time at the very beginning. I'm just going to tell them again that First Baptist Church thanks them for their service um, and their love for our students and that we love of the students of our community, and I'm going to do that at City Council at seven o'clock in downtown Zealand. If you want to meet me there uh, to do that, because it's the summer of serve, and that's what we're trying to do, and getting ready for this big Memorial Day weekend, and then August is going to be here before you know it, and we're going to be giving a ton of stuff away. Which brings me to this. All right, hey moms out there, wave moms, or just really just wives, wives out there, wave to me, wave to me, wave to me. Okay. Pick a number between 1 and 100. Pick a number between 1 and 100. Do you have it? Do you have it? You got it? You got it? You have to have it by now, okay? Was that number in the 90s? Who picked a number in the 90s? Pick a number back there. Anyone else pick a number in the 90s? (laughs) Hold on right there. You picked a number in the 90s. Fantastic. I have two books for you because I picked the number 94 because uh, 1994 is when I married the greatest mother ever. And so um, I picked the number 94, getting your husband to talk to you. Here are books that you can come and pick up afterwards just as a thanks to you moms. Okay. And then men, I haven't forgotten you as well. Pick a number between one and a hundred men. All men, all men in the room. Picking a number between one and a hundred, you got it? Who picked one in the 60s? Anyone pick one in the 60s? Pick one in the 60s. Anyone pick one in 65, 67, 69? Who picked 69? Anything close to 69, 68, or 69? If you were 67 or 68, I have books from John Eldridge. Whenever I see them, wherever I see them, at discount stores, um, uh, at Goodwill, I always take every copy because I think they're very beneficial uh, to men. And so I just constantly give them away because God calls me, to take the stuff that I can I can get, the stuff that I can gather to use my resources for his good. And so that's one little thing that I do. If I go through garage sales, I'm constantly looking for Billy Graham's just as I am. I think everyone should read Billy Graham's biography just as I have. I have about ten books that if I see them, The Ragamuffin Gospel by Brennan, Brennan Manning, I buy it and just find somebody who could use it and I give it away to them and you men are welcome to those books because I want to reflect a good giving God with my life. Next week we're going to be in the Live Well series on Living in Light of Eternity, an incredible passage out of 1 Peter that is so rich. You're going to love it. You can follow along just as hopefully you did this week in the Remember the Lord devotions and the Live Well devotional book that we passed out. This week you you can follow along in Being God's Steward all week long which will reflect back on this morning's message and the following week on Living in Light of Eternity. But today in the Word, what we're going to do is Discover the only way to see ourselves and our stuff correctly. We've got to get the correct theology about stuff, about everything, in order to have orthopraxy, the correct practice. Of everything in our lives. So we're going to see ourselves and our stuff correctly as God's word shows us how we can reflect God's joy, God as joyful stewards of His great generosity. And the first place that we're going to go this morning is Genesis chapter 1. There's going to be a few uh, pieces of scripture that we put up first uh, to remind us of God's generosity, but then we'll really tackle Genesis 1 and then we'll look at Matthew 6. Uh, and investigate that as well here this morning. Here, try this phrase out as you're turning to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis, you're right in the beginning of your Bible. Try out this phrase. See how it sounds. Say it out loud after me. God, I've given you enough. Can you say that? God, I've given you enough. That just don't sound right, does it? It doesn't sound right because it isn't right. How could we say to God, I've given you enough when God has given us everything Where the most generous living being in the universe, the eternal heavenly father who loves us so much that he would give even his own son who would even lay aside some of his glory and wrap himself in human flesh and become like nothing, would empty himself, the scripture teaches so that we could have incomparable riches and immeasurable power through the grace of God in Jesus Christ. God, I've given you enough. It just doesn't make sense. When I was seven years old, my father, every summer, was coaching an all-star baseball team of some sort, and we were always at some tournament somewhere in the South, whether it was a district tournament, a state tournament, an Eastern Regional Tournament. And I would often receive $1 from my mother. She would pack the lunch in the little cooler, and, and so it was a ham and cheese or a turkey and cheese sandwich and, all, and an apple and things like that. But I got $1 that I could use for that day at the concession stand and back then, if you were smart with your money, you could get a Coca Cola, you could get a candy bar, and you could maybe get three for 10 cent bubble gums. You get the apple bubble gum or the regular bubble gum. So when my father saw that I had just purchased a Snickers bar, and it was between innings, and he stepped out from around the dugout and saw me there, and he said, Hey, son, can I have a bite of your Snickers bar? I stiffened immediately. I threw up fences. Even knowing that it was his dollar, I had appropriated it as mine. So what I did was, is I pinched off a tiny little corner off of the Snickers bar, this little corner off of it, and I handed it to him with my stubby, dirty little fingers. I can still remember what he said. He went, gee, Thanks. Let's just go ahead and get some real conviction right from the start. Listen to A.W. Tozer when he talks about our possessiveness. He says, There can be no doubt that this possessive clinging to things is one of the most harmful habits in the Christian life. You can cling to a candy bar. Because it's so natural, it's rarely recognized for the evil that it is. When was the last time that you saw how evil it was To think that anything belonged to you. When we go to the scripture here this morning, when it comes to being God's stewards. We sometimes can have a darkened understanding of giving. We can see it as begrudging theft. Well, it's my duty. God wants it. And so some of us, we love 10% because 10% means we still have 90 grand that we can spend or 50 grand that we can still spend on ourselves or whatever. 10% isn't a whole lot. We still have a whole lot more that we can spend upon ourselves, but we still see it as begrudging theft. God's taking some of our stuff, but at least he's not taking most of our stuff. Or we can see it prior. We can say, here, God, take some of this. You've got to be impressed with how much I'm giving because now if you look at my salary, I mean, I'm giving in the thousands to you, God. We can have a darkened understanding. How can God be impressed with our giving a little when he owns it all in the first place. It's Mother's Day, and uh, my family, we're going um, out to lunch. I'm not telling you where because we don't want to stand in line with you. Uh, no, no. Um, uh, no, we're going uh, for Mexican today and and celebrating that, uh, Mother's Day, and then we're having a special night at home, um, and that's really none of your business. And so, but we're going out to lunch today, and I can remember all the years that Father's Day would come around when my kids were younger, when my boys were like six and eight, and my daughter was just a, a toddler and stuff like that. And boy, they got excited about Father's Day because they were taking me out to lunch on Father's Day. Yeah, yeah. And so we would go, you know, where they would really enjoy food. So we'd go to a family-friendly place and stuff like that. Dad, we're taking you out to, to lunch for Father's Day. No, I'm taking us out to lunch. <laughs> for Father's Day my wallet is handling Father's Day just zoom out to God's perspective he's spending and spending and spending and spending on you all the time children of God he's giving and giving and giving he's taking you out and taking you out and taking you out for your special day because every day really is Father's Day our eternal heavenly father and moms we bless you i mean what greater givers are there than moms the, the ones who are willing to stay awake at two o'clock in the morning and wipe the vomit from our mouths when we're sick with the flu the ones that are willing to cheer us on and 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 bring our lunch to school when we forgot our, our lunch for the second time that week there's no one really more giving than moms and this morning, we want to say, hey, thanks, moms, because you reflect God back to us as a good gift giver. Thanks, moms. And today, instead of most days, when, we, when, it, when, when your pastor says, who do you love? And you're supposed to say, Jesus. You could say, moms, here this morning. We love moms. Thank you, moms, for giving so much. You've given without getting in return. And yet, moms are a little different than God. Because God gives... To get something in return, it doesn't mean that God is capricious. It doesn't mean that that God. Um is a, uh, a killjoy in our lives. It doesn't mean that God is greedy for anything. What God wants back is glory because his glory reflected to the earth is what points people to him so that he can give the good gift of his grace to anyone who would want to know Jesus Christ as their savior. So when God gives to us, he does want something in return. He wants our lives back, given in glory to him. To God who is truly the giver, we are simply the steward of the life that he has given us. And so we have to start with the proper theology this morning. So we're going to look at the God who gives. Who is the God who gives? Well, first of all, God owns everything. If you insert Psalm 24, 1 into your theology, it says this, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the complete expanse of the earth. Everything that is vis- visible and tangible, anything that you can see, that you can comprehend that is out there that you can acknowledge is reality, it's real it belongs to God the world and those who dwell therein God doesn't just own the world he owns me he owns you we belong to God and so we take what we own and we give it back to our owner and glory to him second of all God is incredibly generous He owns everything, but he's incredibly generous. How indignant were the Pharisees when they heard the parable of the talent, uh, uh, excuse me, of, of the workers being paid. And this guy goes out and he hires at 9 o'clock in the morning. These guys work all day and they earn a denarii. And then he he, uh, hires a few more people at 12 o'clock and they earn the same wage. And then he hires people at 5 o'clock, one hour before sundown. They only work for an hour and they still get this great wage. And the earlier workers are indignant. They're upset because... They apparently didn't get what they deserved. How can we say that? There's another phrase that just doesn't work. God, I'm not getting what I deserve. Because the truth of the matter is, we're getting what we don't deserve. We're getting grace from God, we're getting a gift that could not be earned. Listen to just an excerpt of our daily bread from February of 2012 on how generous God is. He makes our cup overflow, Psalm 23:5. 5. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, Ephesians 3:20. His grace is sufficient for any difficulty that life brings our way, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. And it is he who kills the fatted calf and calls for the best robe when the prodigal returns, see Luke 15. No one under the psalmist rejoices. How precious is your loving kindness, O God! Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house. Psalm thirty-six, seven and eight. God is abundantly good. God is abundantly generous. So I did some more study just on all that God gives. I I started in Ephesians and got so tired of listing all of the things in the book of Ephesians that God has done for us. I went over to the book of Colossians and just looked at the first two chapters in in Paul's letter to the church at Colossae. Here is what God has so generously given to us just in the first two chapters. Grace and peace, chapter 1, verse 2. Hope laid up in heaven, verse 5. Power, peace, and joy, verse 12. Qualification to share in the inheritance of the saints of light, verse 12. That means a future sinless existence, by the way deliverance from the dominion of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of God's beloved son verse 13 redemption and forgiveness of sins verse 14 reconciliation to God through Christ's body of flesh only through Christ his body of flesh presented as holy and blameless and above reproach verses 21 and 22 then filling with Jesus Christ who is the head of all rule and authority chapter 2 verse 10 buried with Christ in baptism that's the sinful man and raised to life through faith in the powerful working of God that's the new man verse 12 of chapter 2 circumcised not in flesh but marked by faith in Jesus taken from dead and trespasses and alive made alive together with God verse 13 the record of all debts canceled. verse 14 The the disarming of the demonic powers in the world that serve sin and threaten or cheapen or reject grace. Verse 15. That's just two chapters of one letter of what God has given us. You can never outgive God. It can't happen. Our very generous God is a sharer of his good gifts. He's withheld nothing so that we might have everything. 2 Corinthians chapter, uh, uh, chapter 8, verse 9, shares it this way. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. What don't you know about the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ? What don't you know about the grace? It's generous. It's abundant. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty, so that you by his poverty might become rich. We're wealthy because of the grace of God. And so, what conclusion should we come to in looking at God first and the way that God gives? I cannot outgive God. I can live a life of thanks for God's generosity, but I cannot outgive God. There you go. But I cannot, we're not coming at you hard this morning about stewardship because we want more money from you. Sure, the church always needs money. We constantly need money. We need $700,000 a year to accomplish all the, the goals and vision that we have. We want your stuff in August. We wanted you to take every gently used uh, clothing, shoes, school supplies, learning toys, and things like that, even winter uh, outerwear to give to families in our community in August when we just have this massive giveaway. Sure, we want your your stuff sure we want your money but God wants more than that he wants your everything he wants your life and he wants your life as an act of gratitude back for him the generous gift giver So how I direct everything, all of my resources, that's what God is about. He wants me to follow his plan for biblical stewardship so that I can live more freely by his grace. See, we think if God takes more, he's going to put us into bondage. We're going to run out of money. We're not going to get to keep some of this stuff. When really what it is is we're living in bondage to our stuff, which is not our stuff, was never our stuff, and won't continue to be our stuff because it's going to be taken anyway. And so we ought to live lives of gratitude to God. Listen to Colossians three seventeen, And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through him. So what Paul is saying, remember what I did in, in chapters one and two, told you about all the things that God has given? What Paul concludes by the end of the third chapter to the church at Colossae, he says... Everything that you you do can and should be out of gratitude to God. Every act, every decision that you make truly is a spiritual decision if you have in view correctly your God. If you see your God correctly, and you see his great generosity, you see how he shares with you, you, you know the grace of God for what it is, then... You do everything out of thanksgiving, whether it's in word or deed. Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. God owns everything. God is generous. But, But we are called by God in gratitude to give back. Because where there is gratitude, there will be generosity. Where there is gratitude, there will be giving And so God made us to be stewards then. Take a look down now at your Bibles in Genesis chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 26 through 29 together. We'll read through it and then we'll pick it apart just a little bit verses 26 through 29, then God said, let us make man in our image. He is at the pinnacle of his creation at this point and he is making man. And this phrase in our image is not used for anything else in all of creation, but just here. And so there is a structural condition of man that is in the image of God. It says, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so this dominion reaches all across the earth to care and dominion over us. There are two let uses" in there. Let us make man in our own image and let uh, them have dominion. There is purpose and design. Design and purpose. The design is likeness. They are like. God they are made in the image of God the purpose though is dominion they are stewards of or co-rulers with God in this in this world it practically anticipates the fact that sin is going to enter this world and this world isn't going to be well ruled it isn't going to be good stewarded God made everything with design and purpose. You are well designed. You were made in the image of God, and you are purposed by God to reflect that image back to this world as a good steward, a good ruler in this world. Then it says... In verse 27, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created them, male and female he created them. And so even your gender, the way that you're designed purposefully by gender, there's a whole lot of confusion about gender. But God was not confused when he chose, at the pinnacle of his creation, to create maleness and femaleness Both who can give great glory to God as they complement each other and they reflect back the image of God to creation. In verse 28, And God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food alright so here's where we are God made man and God made man to be stewards God made everything with purpose and with design we go from likeness straight to dominion and our purpose and our significance it all comes from God did you hear that our purpose and our significance it all comes from God even though we keep on seeking purpose and significance from our stuff right come on come on Haven't you ever said when you had people over to the house, oh, we love our house, it's wonderful, but if we just had 400 more square feet. Oh, yeah, it is a nice car. We're grateful that God gave us this car and stuff like that. Oh, but we saw one in the lot that we really wanted. We continue to seek purpose and significance from God. We continue to have kind of this I deserve more, I deserve better attitude. We want significance. Why? Because we are. We're made in the image of God. And when understanding that without the distortion of sin, a plagued heart and soul with sin and a darkened eye of understanding, we understand that our significance comes from God and there can be no significance apart from God. We have great significance revealed to us from God and all that God has given to us. If we weren't this significant... Jesus would not have come if we were not this important. God would not have centered all of the salvation plan of history upon humankind through the cross and through the empty grave. We are created by God. We are significant to God. We are purposeful for God so that we can be in the service of God. And the culminating goal of creation is not for us to be in the trophy case The culminating goal of creation is not for us to become little idols to ourselves, but to be shared, enjoyed, and good stewards of this world. Stuff is not our significance. But I want to talk to you a little bit more about that phrase, in our own image. God made them in uh, his, excuse me. In the image of God, he created them. There is a, a Hebrew word there, the, the bet, which is a, a letter um, that's added to the word there. Um, it, really means, it really means as, as our own image. And so there is not just a theologically rich condition that we're in and being special and significant and unique. We are moral beings. When squirrels steal nuts from other squirrels, they don't go, oh, I feel guilty, okay. I watch it all the time in my, in, my, in my yard, the squirrels stealing from each other and, and bickering about. It. I got gray squirrels, black squirrels, and brown squirrels all not getting along very well. Stealing from, from our sunflower seeds and our bird feeder all the time. And not a single one of them has ever come and apologized for anything. Why? They don't have a conscience. They don't have morality. They're not made in the image of God. Oh, they're still made for glory, they're still significant. Absolutely, They all come together as all of creation and sing the praises and the glory of God because of the way God uniquely and specifically created all of these beings. But man is unique. Man is special. He has morality. He has the ability to reflect and to, and to see God in his heart and mind and to relate to him. But not only is he that in the image of God, he is as the image of God. He's a God-bearer. He's a God reflector is what it means. We are a special work of God as God bearers. So the intended intended meaning here is not just conditional, but also representational. Human life reflects God's nature. We have morals, we have conscience, we represent God. But the things that we do can be seen as a reflection of God's Character, God's purpose, and God's meaningfulness in the world. If we're loving, people can identify with God's love. If we're kind, people can identify with God's kindness. If we're sharing, people can identify with God's generosity. We can draw others to God. That's why it says in the scripture, Jesus says, Make sure that you remain salt and light on this earth so people can see your good works and praise their Heavenly Father. And so we're made to be stewards, but as human beings, as God bearers, a special work of God. And human beings are servants of God by sharing in the work of God. Because it says there, he says, let us make man in our own image. But then he says, let us give them dominion. And so so males and females, both of us, we have a great capacity and a responsibility by virtue of being in the image of God to be as the image of God. We share in the work of God. We are a work of God, but we share in the work of God as well. And so what are the things that we pull down from this rich theology in Genesis chapter 1? First of all is this, is I am a special work of God. You are are designed beautifully god wants you to revel in the way that he created you but you're also designed with purpose and part of that purpose is to share the work of god in all of his creation yes don't throw trash on the ground recycle when you can don't be wasteful with water with electricity with gasoline, with all those things, those resources that are here because we're sharing in the work of God in creation. It doesn't make me a hyper-environmentalist, but it certainly certainly should be that in appreciation for all that God has created and all that God has given me, I am being resourceful with what God has given me. I'm a special work of God. I share in the work of God, and I have dominion. The word there in the Hebrew for dominion, it actually means to put down opposition against. Okay? It means to constrain, all right? So listen, creation has its limits. Creation is limited. I'm limited. I'm male. I have created limits. I can't be both male and female. I can't be half man, half squirrel, half man, half goat, as so many people have created in mythology and paganism and things like that. No, there are limits to that, and there are limits even in dominion. Since the world was going to be broken by sin, the world needs and needed limits. The creation wouldn't be able to rule itself without the imposition of rule by God and through God's Stewards. And so we made the first conclusion I cannot outgive God because God is incredibly generous. But the second c- conclusion would be this that everything that I am and everything that I have is for God. It's for God's glory. I own nothing, but I have the world's best co op. I do and so my wife shook me up the, about two, two years ago I said you know we, we need this and she said well I think the neighborhood has it I said what do you mean the neighborhood has it she goes well we have a neighborhood co-op have you never been to the website for our neighborhood co-op and I said no I, how do you get onto to the neighborhood co-op she goes well people in the neighborhood they say well I've got all this stuff does anybody need this stuff and we co-op and sometimes you know we say Well are 10 bucks I'll take that I'll take that I'll take that and we're going oh no it's just another another disguise for a shopping website. <laughs> but no, but no, she said that they have it right there. And so we we co-op with the neighborhood sometimes. God is the great co-op. Look at all that God is sharing. It all belongs to God, but He's a great sharer. And so we're gonna be we're going to be sharers of good things. If we recognize the good and generous God, we're going to share good things. We're not going to share junk. We're going to share some of the best of our stuff as we give our lives away to God. God, I've given you enough. It just doesn't work. It works for the IRS. It works for the car repairman, definitely. It works for the mortgage lender. It works for your son who's going out on Friday night with his friends. It just doesn't work with God. And so, turn now to Matthew chapter 6. And now that you've seen the significance of God, and rich theology of God, the generous good gift giver, and the significance that, that he has given to us as his stewards in all of creation, now Jesus says, hey, how are you going to handle your life? In Matthew chapter 6. He says, lay up treasures in heaven. Lay up treasures in heaven. Jesus is concerned about how we now spend our lives with all of our resources. And, and the word treasure is the key word of this whole thing. It's because he's going to say right in there, where, where your treasure is, there is where your heart will be also. And so someone who says to me, you know, I know it's coming. I know it's coming. Eccles is going to land the plane. He's going to tell me whether or not I can buy this boat. He's going to land the plane. He's going to tell me whether or not I can go on this two-week vacation even though I had to borrow some out of my retirement. He's going to tell me whether or not I can afford this candy bar. And it has nothing to do with any of that. It has to do with the condition, condition of the heart. If we would honestly ask ourselves, what do I treasure? What do I treasure? What you treasure will determine where you're laying up. On earth or in heaven. So Matthew 6, verses 19 to 24. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. So there's two ways to lose, okay? You lose just by keeping and keeping and keeping until it goes to the garage and then it goes to the attic and then it goes to the storage room and then it goes to goodwill. Or... You lose because thieves break in and steal. My parents were robbed three times on Christmas Eve. Three times. And had to replace their computers, their phone system, and my father's office. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures where you just ain't keeping them. You're just not gonna. But verse 20, But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys. There is eternal value. There is shiny, bright, brilliant, no depreciation value in your eternal investments. So, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust... where neither moth nor rust destroys or where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is there will your heart be also the eye is the lamp of the body now jesus is going to talk about seeing the eye is the lamp of the body and the dimness of that lamp or the brightness of that lamp is decided by this eye if your eye is healthy if your eye is good it's constituted well and it's healthy. The whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? And Jesus is now going to set up oppositional ideas. He's going to say, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and Money. Here's what he's saying there. He says, if the eye is healthy, it's completely healthy, and you're serving God. If the eye is dimming, if it's darkening, if it's unhealthy, it's going to get unhealthier and unhealthier and unhealthier. And you're, you're going to go in one direction, or you're going to go in the other direction. What are the truths that we pull down from this passage? Well, first of all, don't invest resources where they will be taken away. Anything that you say is mine, 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 that you want to keep, 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 and find value in or significance in, it may not be today, it might not be tomorrow, it might be 30 years from now, but it won't be yours. It won't be yours forever. We can't keep anything. Naked we entered the world, and naked we will depart from it. They're going to be taken away somehow, somewhere. Second of all, invest where your resources can have eternal impact Jesus does encourage investment. He's not discouraging investment. He's encouraging investment, but just not unsound investment. Stuff doesn't make us happy. God makes us happy. Where is your heart's pleasure? Do you treasure pleasing God with eternal investments? Then you will be glad and submitted and giving to your God. So the treasures that God wants us to lay up, they have to do with our hearts, the giving of ourselves, the giving of our time, the giving of our talents, the giving of our treasures. What you gave God this week in your time, in your resources, in the people that you gave time to, was it a sigh? Was it a begrudging, out of resentful duty effort? If so, then your eye is seeing through a reality that says, God's stealing from me. then the eye is darkened. So Jesus says, what we treasure, it points us to our heart's attitude. The eye reflects on the whole body. The eye tells us whether there's darkness on our insides. And so in verse 22... When he starts talking about the darkness of the eye, what he's saying is how you see reality directly equates to the level of darkness that you walk in. How you see reality. I think of Paul telling the church at Philippi to have lots of joy and to be partners in the gospel that he who began in a good work in you is able to complete it on the day of Christ Jesus. But he says, do everything without moaning or criticisms don't get rid of your critical attitude. This that people who really understand the grace of God are grateful people, they're give back people. So, the reality directly equates to the level of darkness that we walk in, depending upon the reality that we see. So, let me explain this right? It's when you always wish you could have the next level thing, it's when you tell your friends. When you tell your friends, you know, you have this, but you don't have this yet. It's when you treasure what you don't have yet, but then you get it, and then all you want is something even bigger than that. It's when you guard what you have because sharing it would feel the same as losing it. The eye of your soul looks from a perspective of, I lack, I want, I need, I'm being cheated, and I'll only be happy if I can have more. But there is no more, there is no better that is enough or good enough for an eye that sees that way. It won't be. To start with an eye of darkness is to say, all right, God, how much do you want? The answer will always be the same. More than you want to give. If I ask with an eye of darkness, God, what do you want? The answer will always be... More than you want to give because he wants everything. But that eye that's filled with light, oh, that eye that is filled with light, it sees from a perspective of freedom and trust. Remember, we're talking about living well. God wants us to live well here. I want to live in freedom and in trust and by the grace of God and gratitude for the good gifts that God has given to me. It sees that eye of light. It sees the real treasure of knowing God through Jesus Christ, the good gift giver and walking in accordance with God's word there. Walking with the limitations that God has given me as a steward, not for my glory, but for God's glory. And Larry Perkett says it this way. When we surrender, every area of our lives including our finances to God then we are free free to trust him to meet our needs but if we would rather hold tightly to those things that we possess then we find ourselves in bondage to those very things so the question then becomes as Jesus finishes the passage he finishes the story mine or his you can't serve both mine or his there can only be one master hey I learned something from Matt Chandler this week in listening to a message on stewardship from him he said a phrase that I don't think I've ever thought or stated and I'm going to say it right now don't ever hate conviction conviction is good conviction is a gift from God you know what conviction does it writes my heart conviction gets me to look honestly at an evil inside of me a wrong inside of me. Don't hate conviction. Look, if if there's a toe left that I haven't stepped on so far in the message, just take off your shoes and put it out in the aisle and I'll walk by. This is convicting. This is hard to hear. But it's about our lives. It's about our very lives and the way we show the mastery of God in our lives or we place ourselves in bondage to ourselves as masters. Don't ever hate conviction. Conviction is a real God, a real gift from God, because what flows from conviction to the soul is truth that can be corrected so that we can then change and walk in grace and mercy and walk in the forgiveness of God. It's there so that we would increase our worship, not increase our resentment of God conviction many times can power our obedience. So don't despise conviction. It's a gift. Randy Alcorn says this. He says, look, if God's the owner, then I'm the manager. I need to adopt a steward's mentality toward all the assets that he has entrusted, not given to me. A steward manages assets for the owner's benefit. The steward carries no sense of entitlement to the assets that he manages. It's his job to find out what the owner wants done with his assets and then carry out his will. Are you as a steward of God here this morning saying, God, I'm your servant. What do you want to do with the stuff that you've given me? That's the attitude of a true steward. So let's bring it to our neighborhood here this morning as we wrap things up. The first decision that I've got to make about biblical stewardship is a plain one. It's the obvious one. I must decide whom I will serve. Jesus lays that out in the Matthew passage. Tithing is a challenging thing, parents, to teach your children if they have not been taught to give their lives away long before they ever earn their own wage. If we're not teaching them to go down to the fire station and to the police station and to give some cookies away if they're not being taught to serve a couple of hours at their school or serve a couple of hours uh, by going over to the neighbors and helping them rake leaves or something like that, if they are not already looking through an eye of gratitude and they have an attitude of giving back, man, when they get that first paycheck, it's hard. It's difficult to tithe. I must decide whom I will Serve. And that starts right here, right now, whatever age you are. The second is I must prioritize my pleasures. I must prioritize what's most pleasing to you. If you decided that you're going to serve God, then it means that it would bring greater pleasure to you to serve God than to serve self. And so does my life represent God? Does the use of my resources show that I'm living for God and his pleasure rather than my pleasures? John Wesley asks three critical questions in prioritizing pleasures with life. He says this, In expending this resource, am I acting according to my character. A character that says inside that I'm not the proprietor, I'm not the owner, but I'm the steward of God's goods. The second question he asks is, am I doing this in obedience to God's word? Next time you fill up your gas tank, the next time you go out to eat, the next time that you spend an hour watching television, ask yourself, am I doing this in obedience to God's word? What in scripture Requires me to do possibly something else with this. Thirdly, can I offer this action up, this expense, as a sacrifice to God through Jesus Christ? Is everything that I'm doing reflecting God and is it worship? Is the question. If so, then I'm a real good steward of all the stuff that God has given me the time, the talents, the resources, everything. Spending will tell me what I love. Does this mean I cannot enjoy things? I mean, come on, Clint. I mean, hopefully you're gonna tell us that we can enjoy some things. Absolutely. You're supposed to enjoy the good gifts of God, but enjoy nothing better than the gift of God's grace in your life, of God's generosity to you through his son, Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean I can't go on vacation. I can't fish for a day or own a pool table, but these things are not ever meant to be gods. They're terrible gods. Someone might say here, land the plane, just tell me if I can keep the boat or the extra 50 channels of television or if I can still eat out three times a week. The answer lies not in the measurement of your wealth, whether you're worth a hundred bucks or whether you're worth a million dollars. The answer does not lie in the measurement of your wealth or even the measurement of your giving because you can't outgive God. You'll, you'll never meet that standard. The answer lies in whether my heart is oriented as a grateful steward to God. Am I enjoying what God has given me, but am I finding contentment in what I have? So much contentment that I'm willing to give anything that I have if it would please God. There's your answer. Ask yourself this question. If a lot of what I had disappeared right now, how bad would I miss it? would my character take a hit? Would I begin to resent God? Maybe God wants to bring conviction to your way of seeing, and he wants to fill your body with light so you see with perfect light and brilliance. Am I a person who is continually, profoundly experiencing the grace of God in my life? If I am, then if I'm profoundly experiencing the grace of God, guess what? I'm offering myself back to God. That's the answer are you today offering yourself back to God if you are then your resources really belong to him and you're just managing them for him and for his glory but it isn't just about deciding it isn't just about pleasures it's also about planning my priorities must make it into my planning delayed gratification is a wonderful thing how cool was it that about five years ago they reintroduced layaway plans at stores again where you don't just go and purchase something on your credit card for 19 percent interest but you pay for it as you get enough money to pay for it we are not into delayed gratification today In fact, we sometimes reverse the purposes of the good things in our lives. Instead of giving immediate acknowledgement to God for giving us good gifts, like our first fruits tithing, we delay giving to God as soon as there's going to be some extra money and we spend it on ourselves immediately, which is not the order. All throughout Scripture, you see a first fruits priority in acknowledging God because if I don't, my eye starts to darken and I start to see God as a thief. So my number one priority isn't to give until I'm destitute, or my number one priority isn't to give what I can once I'm done with all that I want. My number one priority is to give generously to God with a heart of gratitude. But it's got to make it into my planning. I decide this is what I will give to God. Can I say at the end of this day... The way that I took, I enjoyed, I shared, and gave all that God has given me, that it was thankful worship. That's a great planning question. But another planning thing is just simply the limits. Because when I give myself limits and I say, I mean, come on, if I were to say, raise your hands if you guys really live by a budget. I'm not saying you ever wrote one budget up seven years ago and it's still in the drawer, but you actually live by a budget. Most of us would not raise our hands here this morning. Because we don't like limits. But limits are good for us because they keep us out of bondage. I know you want to give your resources to God. I know many of you love the Lord. We love the Lord and we want to be generous. But our resources are losing, uh, uh, are being lost to 20% interest. We have to live by limits. Let God ask you what. Limits need to be created in your life so that you can remain a contented and generous steward. And finally this, my planning should just be in glad submission. My planning should be in glad submission. Give to God first, freely and festively. God loves a cheerful giver. My mom was a Clint first mom when it came to baseball. She was out at all of my baseball games and she was a scorekeeper and she would sit right behind home plate And one time at one of those all-star games, I had grown up enough to play for my father. I was 13 years old, and we were in the district tournament, and we were about to lose a game to the team that would win and then go to the state championship, Um, and we only had a few outs left, and it was my at-bat. I fouled off 19 straight pitches to stay alive at the plate, 19 consecutive pitches, which is weird. It never happened ever again. But after four or five of those pitches, my mother started to shout, hang in there, Clint. Stay in there, Clint. You can do it, Clint. By the 7th or 8th pitch, she was like, Clint, you can do this. I know you can do this. Hang in there. Keep fighting. Keep fighting. By the 11th or 12th pitch, she was screaming at the top of her lungs. Fans were moving down the bleachers a little bit to get away from her as she continued to scream. By the 16th, 17th pitch, I was like, Mom, please stop. (laughs) Right? I remember it fondly, but at the moment, I was just like, Oh, my goodness, you are too much of a fan. Of me. I made it through 19 pitches and finally took the fourth ball for a walk, and I scored the winning run of that game. My mother was Clint first. There was no one within a mile of that field who wouldn't have known who my mom was. People within your reach, people within your view, people in your circle. Who do they see as first in your life? Glad submission. My planning should be in glad submission and I should apply faith continually to my stuff. Be a person of faith. How do you do that? You say, "Well, how do I be a person of faith with my stuff every day?" You Just say ask those questions that Wesley asked. Is this worship? What I mean, this spiritual decision that I'm making with my stuff is God-praised? with it is God pleased with it how could we ever collect this fund called the faith promise fund at our church unless there were people that were open to God and going to God by faith saying God if you give me more I'll give more that's what the faith promise fund is 20 30,000 comes in every year through the faith promise fund just because people say God if you give me more I'll give it back to you Live a life of faith and glad submission as a steward to Almighty God. Mothers, happy Mother's Day to you. Have, enjoy the good gifts of God through your family, through a a nice Mexican lunch if you want to um, as well. Um, But let, let me pray. Father, this is hard teaching. This is convicting teaching, but we receive it in Jesus' name We receive it by faith. We receive it by faith that looks at the great grace that you've given us, God. We want to be impacted by that great grace. In Jesus' name, amen.